Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Big Texas Outdoors podcast. I want to encourage everybody to like and follow on Facebook and Instagram as that's where we up, uh, share our updates on the show when we release a new episode. And yeah, so like and follow, tell your friends. Tell your friends to tell their friends. All that good stuff. And now for this week's episode. Yeah, so I mean, like, it, it's marked explicit, so I mean, just... Oh, well, explicit it's a safe content. space, right. so does it really matter? That's right. Right. So, yeah, we've got Holly Hearn here this evening of uh, Game Girl Gourmet. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, this is one of Colton's friends. So it absolutely is. Uh, me and Miss Holly have been friends for a few years now. Yeah, uh, got to kind of see Game Girl get off the ground and. Yeah, we were actually always, friends yes, before I yeah, started before, the business. Yes, That's yes, indeed. Yep, crazy. it is. It really is. And uh, I've kind of got to see some of her fantastic culinary creations manifest. You know, through pictures and social medias. Man, and, I, I'm ready to hear about this. Oh man, it's it's something serious. <clears throat> so uh, I'm gonna I'm let her talk about it because she knows a hell of a lot more about it than I do. I'm, well, uh, I mean, we can start where just, I mean, I guess everybody starts in the outdoor industry just with a passion for the outdoors. Like, really, what it boils down to is I love to hunt and fish, and I love to shoot, and I wanted to figure out how I didn't have to be. Um, like locked into a career that prevented me from doing that or I, like having to have like X amount of time like off to be able to. So I really just kind of wanted like my, <clears throat> I don't know, my business is focused on like the freedom of being able to do and be in the outdoors. Um, but so Game Girl really started during 2020. I had this crazy experience with MasterChef, like, you know, the TV show. Okay, yeah. Um, so I went, like, all the way through the audition process, like, all the way through. I mean, I made it to, like, the bitter end. I was in my senior year of engineering school. So, like, the dean of engineering at Lamar, God bless him, like, rearranged my, like, degree program so I could go to Los Angeles and, like attempt to do this thing and it ended up being like a very hard thing because I got there and I went through the process and it just didn't feel I don't know I just didn't feel like I was the right fit for them they were the right fit for me and the last thing I really wanted to do was like kind of make a joke out of like the outdoors right and about the seriousness that is like right hunting and fishing because it's your passion yeah so it was like so they, they had found my Instagram and I just started posting like food photos of like, you know, I don't know, venison stir fries and egg rolls and dumplings and just stuff that I was doing for like fun. And they found it and asked me to audition and they, you know, really like, liked the fact that I was like the whole field to table process. And, you know, I'd never really thought about it as being a serious culinary thing until it was acknowledged by, you know, people that I thought were like very serious culinarily and I don't actually think that's a word, but it is now. It is. Um, it is for the sake of it. <laughs> for the sake of this. So, um, yeah, I went to like the master chef thing and I went through that whole process and then I ended up coming home a lot sooner than I had anticipated, but it was such a blessing in disguise. Cause I came home like 
the week before they shut the airports down for COVID. Oh, geez. So, like, I was in Los <laughs> Angeles, and they were like, everything was falling. Like, I didn't know it because we had we had no phones, no internet, no news, nothing. Like, we were sequestered. Right, the whole so, world like, the was whole crumbling world down. the whole world was, like, crumbling down, and I had no idea. <laughs> so I get out, and it was just like, well, I guess I'm just going to, like, hang out and cook and do whatever. And then... Um, I graduated, you know, from in, from Lamar with a degree in engineering, and um, I think that COVID was probably I was like one of the best things that ever happened to me because all I was doing at that time was hunting pigs, butchering pigs, drinking beer, and cooking and working out. That was literally it, and trying to finish school. So I had such a short list of things that I had to do, and it really allowed me this time. You know, I'd been working on my butchering techniques for like ten years. And but like during that time, I was able to really refine. You were able to hone in on it. Yeah, hone in on. But not only that, but focus on like a portion of like everybody knows about deer hunting and how great venison is. But like, how many people know how good wild pork is? Everybody thinks Absolutely. it's freaking awful. It's my favorite. It's so good. So good. Right, and when you have it handled properly, it's like mind blowing. And I know we're getting off on a lot of different tangents because we're trying to like streamline about how. I got here, but anyways, like, COVID happened, I was struggling because the engineering job market, like, was so bad at the time, and I wasn't just going to sit around until things got better, and I actually ended up going on this fishing trip on the Sea Dollars with my um, good friend, Jack Beal, and uh, he's the owner and the captain on the boat, and his mate had invited me to go fishing and he was like hey if you like volunteer to cook a couple meals they'll probably like not charge you for gas and I was like okay cool so like I grew up on a boat my dad had a boat like and I don't mean like a I mean we had Boston whalers but my dad had a 45 foot Hatteras when I was younger so like I was like hell yeah that's gonna be awesome I haven't done this in so long my dad is also a terrible fisherman sorry dad but like seriously my dad is such a bad <laughs> fisherman so like sport fishing was so new to me and that was really my first experience with it and so I went offshore and I like cooked the whole like I ended up cooking the whole time just because that's the kind of person that I am I'm like eh, I might as well just like do the whole thing if I'm gonna do half of it right <laughs> and um he like sat me down at the end of it and was like, Hey, you should really think about like doing this full time and seeing what happens. And I kind of thought it was a joke because I was like fresh out of engineering school. I was like convinced that the only way to exist and make money and survive was like work in the plants and like do the, do the thing, you know? So yeah, that's the norm for a lot of people around here, but you, you figured out how to break that mold. Yeah, so I kind of had been, like, playing with, like, in my head, I'd just been going back and forth about, like, starting a business or not starting a business because I think the more that I, like, look back on it, I don't think I ever really saw myself, like, working full-time for anyone because I always liked the idea of, like, engineering consulting where I didn't have to be tied to any Right, one, you were your own boss and you just... Yeah, any one business. And so um, that is kind of, he just was like, you should think about doing this. And I was like, well, shit, what am I even, like, what am I even going to call it? And I was actually on my way to a dove hunt with some friends. And I was like, I like the name Game Girl Gourmet. That sums it up. It tells a story. It's quick. Like, short, I like Short, wild, sweet, to the point. I like wild game. Like, fish can be game. Birds can be game. Large game, you know. So I was like, man, that is, 
and then like so many people like a couple people were like I don't like that name and I was like nah I think that's the name and so I like went ahead with it anyways and I just filed for my LLC and then I I launched my social media and I had I had been posting like like Colton can vouch I just kind of been posting food photos just for fun as like um just as a hobby because I started an Instagram when I started shooting sporting clays competitively because I thought that I was going to be like the next Olympic sporting clay shooter I'm definitely not but I thought that at the time so I like just I don't know I started posting on that and it you know I guess kind of like reshaped what I thought that I should be doing and I launched my social media and within nine days of launching I was booked for a whole deer season and it was, like, wow. mind-blowing to me that, like, one, that many people were watching what I was doing. But, uh, you know, two, that there was even, like, I guess I didn't even realize there was a market for it in the first place, you know? And it it is that, like, as we, like, shift it from, like, COVID to, like, post-COVID, we think about, like, the cost, the rising cost of meat and, like all the things that are happening in like with our grocery system. Absolutely. It, 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 if you're a hunter, it doesn't make sense not to get the most out of your. It's scary. If you think about it, I mean, really, if you look at like the supply logistics right now, right. And in the cost of fuel and, and the cost of fuel and the anything cost anywhere, anything. Yeah. I mean, literally a, a bag of chips, like the party size bag of chips. It it's used like, to be like two fifty nine. It's like, like seven, fucking seven, seven bucks. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I bought a bag of ruffles the other day for six fifty nine. I about had a stroke. I know, man. Like eggs are expensive. Milk's expensive. That's what I'm saying. It's so it's like, outrageous. Think about that on like a deeper level though. Cause I've always felt like I've been pretty connected to the proteins for me. I've like, it's not that I'm like a hippie or granola about it, but like, I definitely do care how the animals that I consume are treated. And right. I know, and I know that when I hunt and when I have taken that life or however you right. harvest they, it or whatever you want to, they're like, living whatever, their best life out there. Yeah. Whatever lingo jargon you want to use to describe the death of an animal, because that is what, ha- what is happening. <clears throat> and we should be more clear about it. Like a death has to take place for you to fucking order. Sorry for you to fucking order that piece of chicken in a restaurant. Right. It does. And so like for us to take it so lightly is kind of like mind blowing. Right. To me. Where, where did that chicken come from? Yeah. where did that chicken a, come from? A great, a big ass chicken house lived its whole life in a crate yeah right. and so like when i i shoot maybe one or two deer a year that's enough to feed my me and my household for longer than a year you know i mean i'm, I'm sure y'all understand it's like <coughs> you if you properly take the time to butcher a deer a pig whatever that may be you get so much meat and then there's there's also just like kind of a lack of knowledge on how to prepare wild game meat. absolutely like we can sit and probably have 10 podcast episodes about like how to properly handle venison and wild pigs. So I know that I'll use myself as an instance. Uh, I used to keep all my animals on ice for a week, you know, and, and I, I believe me and you talked about it before, you know, they get that funky discoloring, you know, they turn that from that bright, deep red to mm-hmm. that grayish, right. you know, hue, that unfresh looking hue, you know, and, and now I start, I package all my stuff now when I put it in the cooler. I still leave it on ice for a week, but I put it all in bags. Yeah, and the, scented where, bags, where, right? Yep, where the, where the ice and the water never actually physically touch the meat. And when you pull it out of that bag, it is just the 
prettiest, I mean, deep, deep red like this wine we're drinking right now. Like, it's just the most beautiful, beautiful meat, you know, and, and, and it's so fresh. Like, it seems so fresh even though it's been on ice for a week. Like, I mean, it's almost well, like you just cut it off the animal. And then the quality stays the same, especially when you maintain temperature. You know, what I find the worst place that I see animals being handled is the duck blind. Yeah, 100%. And I hate to like be that dude but i'm calling out all the duck outfitters y'all if we shoot ducks dog picks up duck duck comes back to the blind it sits in the sun for like two hours until we're finished hunting and then maybe it goes into a cooler or maybe it goes in the back of your truck it goes on the bed of the truck so like why okay but do you ever buy a steak from the bed of a truck <laughs> no like why would you expect it to be any good right so, like, when you think about the butchering process of a cow, it goes, okay, kill floor. Like, I don't want to get too graphic, but, you know, stuffing things, magic, butchering shit, cold. There's no time for that animal to get <clears throat> hot right, to and get gross. Up, yeah. And, like, think you bacteria, like, there are so many reasons that we could, like, I could sit here and talk about bacteria growth. Nobody wants to hear about it. But, like, ducks, I find, tend to be the meat that is the most abused and the one that's the most hated. If you talk to anybody oh, about yeah, no, it. Oh, yeah, nobody likes wild nobody duck. Nobody wants to see a wild duck. It's because they treat them like shit. What if, and hear me out, this might be freaking bananas, what if we, you know, took some of those yetis that we take beers to the blind in? What if, instead of, like... You know what? Take your ducks out for your photo. Like, do your Instagram thing with your curled eyelashes and your perfect hair and your bleached teeth. Let's do it. Probably don't put that in. That was a little hateful. <laughs> oh, no, it's going. Oh, it's going. We're, it's going. You, you're about to piss the people off. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's fine. You know what? That We're bringing is, the hate. Hey, that was gender neutral, though. It was. Right, mm-hmm. right. I feel a little attacked. I'm not Yeah, yeah. I mean... I mean, I look for the perfect lighting and the perfect hey, photo. Hey, no, but there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with taking the. You should be proud. Like, okay, we can talk about the. Like, look, that's another topic. Let's talk about the hippies not wanting us to smile in our hunting photos. That's a great topic. We'll get to that. But I want to talk about the ducks right now because I love duck hunting and I love duck. I love to eat wild duck. It's one of my favorite meats. But like, what if instead of, like. <clears throat> Putting them in the duck strap and then leaving them back there. We threw them in the cooler as soon as we knew that they were dead, dead. And then we waited and then put them on a duck strap and like took a photo. Can you imagine the quality of meat? Like if they didn't have time to get hot. Well, under normal circumstances, though, I mean, you think about it, duck season, chances are most of the time it's going to be pretty cool. So at least you got yeah. some. Yeah, but around and I guess here, most it's... of my like early teal hunting is like because I don't have. Oh, a... teal season's terrible. Oh, yeah, it's hot. There's have... mosquitoes. God, teal I'll preface terrible. this with like I've shot mallards in like Oklahoma a couple times in Stuttgart. I don't have a ton of experience like big duck hunting, so I'll be the first person to like tell y'all about that. But I mean, it it really does like geese i've cooked so the thing is is i cook a lot of different proteins i haven't like had the opportunity to like hunt geese i mean i definitely have once or twice and that never like yeah it's it's fun it's so fun but it's it's just the consistency of like how i see the dead like the the animals being handled after death and it's gotten so much better with like wild pigs and venison like people because of like you know like it's not all i feel like a lot of social media is bad but not all social media is bad there's been so much knowledge just like shared around like meat and keeping things healthy and or 
keeping things like right that the like for big game things are different now than they were like even five years ago. I think I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. I think you're you've hit the nail on the head. Like the the whole COVID. You know, everything was closed. You couldn't do anything. So everybody hunted, you know, or, or people who like to hunt, you know, most everybody hunted. Right. They, and they, they, you know, they were more into processing because guess what? Processors weren't, you know, may, not, may or may not have been open. That and they're expensive. Everything's expensive. You know, yeah. so, I mean, you have a lot of things that have happened in the last three years, two years, two going on three, whatever, you know, that has revolutionized, I would say, the way people approach wild game as far as sustenance wise like i know i know there was a year the covid year me and caitlin we had uh two she killed two axis deer i killed a whitetail we had a neil guy and a red deer hind oh hell and we ate all five of those things I say that we ate all five of those things. You we, ate most of no. We all know how seventy-five or eighty percent. Seventy-five or eighty percent of. But we. But yeah. there was a there was a nine or ten month span there, like from the twenty twenty, like summer of twenty twenty, through probably fall of twenty one, where we almost I would say, besides the exception of going to buy ribeyes at the store or chicken, we it, didn't it buy any game. protein from the store. Yeah. We ate wild because I did everything. So we. All of our ground meats, all of our roasts. We talked a lot during that time. I a remember lot. the yeah, questions. Yeah, absolutely, because I was always asking you questions. Yeah. Uh, you you know, were like, can I do this with that? And I'm like, absolutely, you can do that with that. We substituted it for everything. And I told her, like, you like this can. year, I plan on doing it again yeah, this year. Because I mean, it was literally, that was probably my favorite as far as, like, eating good and, and relatively good. healthy. Yes. Yeah. Like, that was it. That was the pinnacle. Like, we felt like we were so happy and enjoyed coming home. We were like, what can we do now? You know, like, we've already done everything that we've thought of. Let's just find something off the wall and make it with, right, a, with right. a wild animal that we have in the freezer because we had so much. I mean, yeah, like, and a, that's how it all started for me. It was like, can I do this with that? And, like, it was awesome. Yeah. So, we, we did a goose hunt and we killed 40. Yeah, I think 40 or 41. Something yeah, like that. something like that. So, we had all this goose meat. So this, how old were we? This is like oh shit. 20, this is like twenty twelve. It was I, like ten. I years can't ago. remember. Oh it man, was, guys, that was the year I graduated from high school. Yeah, we had already been out. We had already <laughs> right. been out two years. Us old timers. Oh yeah, y'all yeah, are so much older than me. A whole two years. <laughs> old. Yeah. So we had all this meat. So what do we? What do we do? On a Thursday night, we're over at my house. Colton said, "Hey, let's." make fajitas with all this stuff hell yeah i bet they were bum they were and we invited a bunch of friends and we drank a lot of beer we didn't tell anybody no because you can't like because like, there was like some friends of ours like a, a female friend of ours and she came with her husband but she no, she's not she's not a wild game connoisseur by any means she doesn't hunt she doesn't fish she doesn't eat you know what i'm saying like yeah, yeah. so we just didn't even say nothing we just said hey we're cooking fajitas right. at john's y'all come over so we drank beer we had goose fajitas they were awesome they were awesome i will say and we woke up hungover friday and went to work 100 <laughs> percent. yeah 100 percent. But so, like, to touch back on the goose thing, too, just, we went to West Texas, uh, it was, I think, four years ago, it was our first trip we went, Maybe so this was probably been three years, this is the second trip. Anyways, we killed some Canada geese, which, Canada geese are notoriously the, the That's least... That's what everybody says, but they I say that, swear, but I, I swear. I'm going to preface that, okay? So, everybody says that Canada geese is probably the, the, the least savorable Least desirable. As, as far as the geese are concerned. Everybody loves speckle bellies. 
A lot of people talk trash on snow goose. I'm telling you right now, I will eat a snow goose before hey, I eat I, snow, snow goose is so good. Any duck, any snow yeah, I would eat a so snow, I would trade every duck I shoot well, for snow geese. And you pound know for pound. I, do you know what I also think is hilarious? Like, or not even hilarious, but really sad, is that. Like, let's just breast him out, and, like, the rest of it's just bad. What the fuck happened? Like, yeah. do you breast out a chicken? The breast is the worst part <laughs> on a chicken. Like, okay, I'm not going to lie. Some confit, and that sounds fancy, but really what you're doing is you're cooking it in fat. So, like, if you put in a cast iron dish, like, some goose thighs covered mm-hmm. in oil with some garlic and bay leaf and like, put that in the oven at, like, 250 for three hours. Do you think that's going to be bad? I love, I love no. goose legs. That sounds amazing. Yeah, there's no way that's bad. No, they. I love goose legs. I love them. But, right, so good. So we killed these Canada geese, and we're like, what are we going to do with them? And I told Cody, because we had seen them the year before, and I said, look, I said, bring your shit. I said, we're going to fuck with these Canada geese. I said, when we kill them, we're going to make hamburgers. Because I seen, I don't remember who I was watching. It was, I can't remember if it was a podcast, if it was a YouTube video or something. But it was an outfitter in Oklahoma. I think it was Oklahoma. It was either Oklahoma or Kansas. So he would actually take the geese like customers didn't want, and he would process them and grind them and make hamburgers. Yeah, and, and he would feed them back. You know, like that yeah, would yeah. be a like meal at the lodge. the lodge. Yeah, exactly. So, which I think is awesome. Yeah, kudos. Did, if whoever you were, I can't remember who it was, kudos to you for being resourceful and well, being... Well, as you should. Yes, absolutely. You know, wholeheartedly, you know, it's a way to take the game full circle. You know, like, hey, guys, like, this is what we shot. Now, look, here we are again. Now, we've come full circle with this little well, whole it, escapade. It, it becomes so much less meaningful, the hunt, the experience, absolutely. when it's all about numbers. That's right. You're right. You know what I mean? It just mm-hmm. takes away, like, for me... So much of and why I started Game Girl was because those moments after the hunt where you're sitting around with your dad, your grandfather, your buddies, and you're laughing and talking and you're eating good food, like you come together with that good food. And then when you have hunted that food, like when you have processed that food, even if you didn't process it and it was something you hunted and I butchered and served to you, the connections that you make and the stories that you tell and the memories that you're experiencing, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot more personal than just going and buying some meat at the yeah, grocery for store. Yeah, sure, for sure. On the, on the, on the bargain bin at HEB. Right. And Here, I mean, and busted. hey, there's like nothing wrong with that because, no. n- you know, we're so blessed that we have the opportunity to hunt. And, but the connections that you make over a plate of food, they're... You can hear the puppies in the background of the <laughs> microphone. <laughs> the connections that you make over a plate of food, you can't, replicate you can't, that no, no i agree with that it's it's you can like you connect we can we all and especially after covid like the way that we connect with people is so different absolutely so i for me when you get to share a meal with somebody like and especially if it was like something you hunted so it's significant to you like me being able to prepare that for you is like the coolest like the highest right honor. that's what that's what we did we literally we brought a, a grinder out there with us and I was like, you know, let's let's we'll go buy some bacon from the store. Oh, the, you know, yeah, you did the ends and pieces. Some, yeah, we bought we bought the. Uh, I always put bacon, bacon in my ends. sausage. I love it. Always so good. I add it to ground meat and stuff, everything. So I was like, let, look, we'll just do like a seventy thirty mix. You know, we didn't have a scale. We just kind of eyeball. You know, like we took two handfuls of. You're just cooking. That's how you. Yeah, that's be. right. Right. You know, 
And we blended Measured with the heart. You know, I wanted to have... I wanted tell the to add, voices of your ancestors tell you to stop. <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to add a little bit of, of consistency, you know, to get that meat to kind of bind where we could make some yeah. decent hamburgers. Because that's what I said. So we're going to cook hamburgers. And we brought some fresh oysters from here. Oh, we hell got yeah. Them, we got them oh, from yeah. Stingery. Okay, mm. we brought two bags of oysters. We gave one bag, I think, to the farmers, and we kept one, and we shucked them, and we grilled them with the hamburgers. Oh, man. Fresh. Good, and I'm going to tell you something right now. I would never... Never, ever, 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 ever throw away a goose. Ever. That shit was awesome. <laughs> yeah, man. It was I'm, something so simple as a, as a fucking hamburger. I've been wanting to get into a pile of geese ever now, since I mean, the things, that. dude, they slapped so fucking hard. What? And a big Canada goose, I mean, you get a, you get a breast, uh, one breast fillet's nine or ten ounces. I mean, okay, but let me tell you something. Like, even, like, so... I have nothing against ground meat. I definitely think that's so many people's introductory to yes. like wild game food. Hundred percent. But like, man, a rare, a like a freaking goose breast seared rare. I love it. So. Oh good. yeah, I love like a speckle belly breast. Like I'm not. I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I hate plucking a bird. I hate it with a fucking passion. But oh, what yeah, I do it's like such to do, a pain in the ass. What I do like to do. Hear me out. It is. Hold on. Buy a plucker. Come on. Hear me out. Hear me out. Speckle belly. Pluck the breast. Fillet the breast off with the skin on, seared oh, medium yeah. rare, and oh, cast iron. Oh yeah. gosh, dude, nothing. Rosemary, is... butter, garlic. People would mm. fuck up for that. <laughs> like that hoe hits harder than a drunk stepdaddy. Hey, but you know what's? <laughs> I'm just telling you, it does. Cheers. You know what is like my favorite wild game meat that I've had, that I've like never talked about because I've only hunted them one time. Sandhill crane. They are so good. Oh, oh god. <laughs> my god! We People say rib out of the sky. They're not, not bullshit. They they nope. are fucking delicious. Oh my gosh! And I made this cacao and chili rub for the sandhill crane, and we did it on. So like, I am a pellet smoker fan. I don't care what anybody says. Kiss my fat ass. Those <laughs> things are awesome. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, man. So I've, good. I've, I've got one too. I mean. Yeah, for sure. So my mine fucks up sometimes, and the auger just feeds the pellets to it. Like it almost ruined uh, Thanksgiving. So I woke up early, put a ham on, put some turkey breast on for my grandparents, went duck hunting, came back, checked it, <clears throat> all was well. And then I'm getting showered, everything, getting ready for Thanksgiving. I look outside, and there's smoke everywhere. I'm like. What the fuck's going on? I go out there and there is smoke bellowing out of this, and it says it's at five hundred degrees. Oh, no. I, I was like, "Holy Man, shit!" Okay, so I'm not I had lie. some elbow length welding gloves. I'm grabbing the shit off the pit. I've never seen that happen on a trigger. Like, I'm not trying to brand plug, but like, I worked with camp chefs when I was in Alaska the first time. Oh god, we got to talk about that. Um, so. When I was in Alaska the first time, we had camp chefs. And then this last year when I was in Alaska, I worked at a different place and we had uh, Traegers. And then my boyfriend has a Traeger and I've been cooking on it since we started dating. Because, like, obviously, he's not going to cook for himself. I'm a chef. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, he could, but I'm trying to trap him, so. There you go. That's how you got to do it. You got to bamboozle him, you know. For sure. Biggest way to a man's heart is their stomach. Oh, yeah. That's right. Unless you're crazy like me. So, like. Poor guy. I've been gone every week for like a month now, and he's like three days here, two days here, and we live together. <laughs> it happens. So, uh, poor guy. Um, yeah, but the man, the pellet smoker, and like 
doing the reverse here with the birds, like Gosh. 275 for like eight minutes, maybe less, and then hot searing in some butter and getting that. Like, I've done that with wildebeest, oryx, axis, red deer, whitetail. Like, without fail, that reverse sear method on the Traeger cannot be beat, man. It's so good. Solid. Solid. Yeah, and you know what else? It also just like, if you want to get into the science behind that, it. It is a more gentle method of cooking, and it allows for the juices and the blood and all the things to, you know, do their thing in the meat. And without getting too intense, they make, they're more moist. Like, when you cook, like, wild game, just like anything else, like, has its own technique. And I think that's also where a lot of people kind of, like, veer off with wild game is they don't know how to properly cook it. We... We assume that we can cook it just like a like a beef cow or a chicken, and it just turn out just fine. But there's you know no fat, so doing that it that lean. way right. is yeah. Venison's really lean. So lean, and if you're not careful, like you can definitely like overcook it or make it stringy or, you know, dry it out. Dry it out for sure. It's it's definitely like it's different than cooking a steak but it's not so different that it's impossible for the average home cook to do absolutely and i think that's really like where a lot of things i like where a lot of discourse i feel like is people just don't know how and they're scared to because they've worked so hard to hunt for this meat and now they don't want to mess it up that's right right i feel like a good rule of thumb is like if you were like if you were a a medium rare or I'm a knock his horns off, wipe his ass kind of guy myself. But <laughs> yeah, same. If you are a a medium rare type of person, you can pretty effectively cook wild game with minimal knowledge or ability. I would say, if for somebody who doesn't understand or know what to do with it, you can cook it in a reasonably good fashion and at least be yeah, enjoyable. For sure. and you consumable. know what I mean? Exactly. For right. sure, and it'll be good. <laughs> Yeah, people aren't going to like make fun of you and like spit it in the trash can when you're not looking. Like it's, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be at least edible. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I really can honestly say that I have not had any wild game that was cooked more than medium rare that I thought was terrible. I mean, most of the time, it comes out like pretty good if you keep it under, like in the right temperature frame. Right. Yeah. yeah well, um, and it also like that's such a like a weird statement to make though because it really does depend on the cut and if we're going to get into that we have to really dive into butchering because that's another thing that i feel like is so even like my dad my (coughs) uncles were like i don't understand why you're taking so much time to do this like you know and and it wasn't something that was widely on social media like it is now like i right. feel like like meat eater and like the bearded all butchers the and, and all, these all guys on yeah. yeah like they so before like that is when i really got into butchering i've been butchering my deer since i was like 16 17 so 11 12 years now and like really the only person that was writing about cooking wild game and doing anything with wild game was hank shaw so I'm gonna be I'm gonna say something that it kind of really drives me nuts, and and it's it's really it shouldn't because it's not really my business. Everything is personal preference. If you legally harvested that game, you do with it whatever you want to. But yeah, it, for it sure. really bothers me. Like people don't don't take the initiative to break down 
a side of venison like like to really no. like they take it to a processor let's just throw it through the grinder let's, let's and grind call it, it let's day. make five, 50 pounds right. of sausage some summer 20 sausage. pounds of ground meat and some summer sausage and tenderized backstrap to fry and i'm like dude like i would rather i would rather beat my own ass with a hammer than grind a deer like 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 front shoulders okay like it's real tendony you know there is some good cuts in there but you know if you're going to grind something that's probably your better end to grind on you know and i love as much as I love fried backstrap, I love to not fry backstrap. Oh, like, I love to cut rare. steaks. I love to cut steaks out of the hams and chicken fry a whole steak out of the ham that tastes just as good or better than a fried piece of backstrap. Me and Cody were talking about this the other day. Or do it on the tray here and do it like a prime rib roast. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So what I want to do this year, I want to try. Man, I've been wanting to try it. And I, I, I fucked up when I didn't do it with a red deer, and I fucked up when I didn't do it with a meal guy. But but you didn't know. You can't no, no, no. Say I didn't know. I didn't know. I had every intentions on doing it. But it when happens. I was when I was cleaning when we were cleaning the meal guy, we were not in the best of situations, <laughs> and that is a hard fucking animal to clean anyway. Their hide is so tough. Like like I've never seen a hide dull an outdoor edge or a Havilon style knife. Well, that's because like you're using an outdoor edge and a Havilon, which you need to use as a box cutter. Well, that's I mean that's a good idea too. That's what I yeah. do. I can clean like three pigs with one blade. Really? Like, yeah, I'm yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And blades are cheap as fuck. Yeah. So oh, this yeah. is so this so, is like, what I this is why I didn't get on with those guys early on because I don't support the product. Have you ever seen so, ha, looking back at any of my social media? Have you ever seen me use an outdoor edge or any of that stuff? That's because it's not necessary. You don't have to spend. So fuck the thirty dollar knife. Buy a ten dollar box cutter and spend another ten dollars on. However many blades. Yeah, throw them away when you're done. Replace it every time. But you're also like, if if that's so, like this should be an entirely separate podcast. Is about equipment. Like it really should. We can. Oh yeah. We can yeah. easily be. So like, if y'all want to do a whole butchering podcast, I'm so down. But like, breaking down an animal, the first step, removing the hide. Always like, why buy? Okay something so specialized i'm an industrial engineer right so like in my brain i want something that i can use for a multitude of different things that is like okay so like on i'm also talking about like pigs and things with heavy hides we're not talking about like whitetail or anything that you're gonna like cape out to have a trophy right so like right. of course in those instances using something like a Havilon or right, something right. like an outdoor edge definitely better because of the protected backing certainly you can definitely do like finer work but if you're working on a pig or a no guy something you're not gonna like have the caper mount box cutters yeah who gives a shit if you nick the hide All right day. nobody cares <laughs> but like I so my my pet peeve like I don't take my my reason for getting into doing my own deer and stuff was I don't want to. I don't want to pay. Hey, I don't want to pay somebody else to do something that I can do. Something that I enjoy doing. Like, right. like I sit out here with my fold-out plastic table with a liner on it, and I sit here and process my own deer in an hour. Yeah, I mean, hour the, and fifteen minutes. You know, <clears throat> cut all my roasts. The last deer stuff. I killed, I got the the grinder yeah, from you. Yeah, you my shit, and I just sat in my kitchen and just. It's so relaxing. First and foremost, it's relaxing as hell. B is satisfying and fulfilling because not only did you kill this animal, but you processed this animal, and now you're about to feed it to your family. Food, you know, finished yeah. product. No, you know from start exactly. To you know exactly what you're eating. But my deal is like I see so many, and I I'm, I used to be guilty of it too as a, as a as a kid and a younger man. You know, that's just how we were raised. I would take it to Gibson's. We take it to so and so. We take it to Pure Cajun. We take it to you well, know. and it's almost like a it's a status thing if you can take it to the best processor. Right. You know, like I can have the best sausage made, but really like. 
How much of that is your deal? So my deal. Figure out how, how to make know? a better sausage. My deal. So I, I'm going to touch on him as soon as I finish this. But like, I break down a whole deer. You know, I mean, I get six or eight roasts, ten roasts, counting the neck. You know, leave the bone in the neck. God, please don't debone the neck roast. Oh leave the bone in it until you cook it. Then once it's done cooking, you can take the bone out and do with it what you will. She's probably going to say you can make a stock. You can make all kinds of shit out of the bone because it, it is awesome. But for somebody who's just going to eat it, leave the bone in the damn neck. Do Yeah, and don't leave the neck on the deer. Oh, my God. That's like the best. Uh, oh, my gosh. I make pastrami with that. That sounds delicious. It's we just so cooked good. my last deer neck roast last week, actually. But so, or go ahead. Go so, ahead. like, I'll take you know, get all these different roasts that you cut off of the rumps, and you know, your top sirloin, and all your stuff, and then you get your back. And I want to leave the next one. I'm, I swear to God, I'm doing it. I don't give a damn if it's a doe. What it is, I'm shooting. I'm leaving the bone in the fucking loin. I'm gonna split it. it at the hind, at the shoulders and at the hindquarters, and I'm gonna leave the whole rack whole, and I'm gonna leave some rib on it because I've been seeing like people like braising it and shit like with the bone in it and i'm like gosh damn that looks so good i want to oh, try i don't to- know if i'd braise a whole back strap like but if you want to do like some bone in like i want to do some bone like i want to do some bone in like tomahawk like, style yeah, tomahawk's- like with the neil guy yeah, or with yeah, the yeah. Yeah. it's bigger you know for like, sure with a deer it's not i mean no it's totally worth it with a white tail don't let anybody no, lie I, so to you i've so seen the guy that did tomahawk it steaks with both halves so yeah. instead of splitting the spine he took a saw and cut through the spine so he had both halves yeah you know the left and the right Together still is like a big butterfly mm-hmm. with bone. So he did like, like a crown roast. Literally. And I'm like, gosh, damn, that's awesome. Like, that looks delicious as fuck. Like, that's what I want to do with mine. You know, now, don't get me wrong. I love ground meat. I love, I love innocent ground meat. It's so lean. It's so good and healthy. You don't feel like a piece of shit after you eat it. But I'm not worried about, like, the sausage. Like, don't get me wrong. I love wild pork, too. That's probably one of my favorite things. But mm-hmm. I will, because wild pork is a is a dime a dozen. I mean, you can go kill a bajillion of them. For, for you, for, like, where like but where you're at right, right. here. Yeah. Here, absolutely. Yeah. Do, for like, our area. So, like, I moved to Galveston last year, and let me tell you something. I have been missing the wild pork. All so, you had to do, I sent you a video of them the other day. All yeah, you had to do is literally drive yeah, back here. Yeah, I know. Here, it was actually at my dad's house. Like, right there. Like, right <laughs> there. <laughs> this guy sends me a video of the pigs on my Three pigs walking property. down the fucking ditch bank. And I'm like, hey, Holly, where you at? You know, like, <laughs> I haven't been managing them. You I've could, been, you could be going. here, I know. but you're not. And I these know. pigs are just walking in front of my shit for 20 minutes. Hog hunting with Holly. The the day before, <laughs> the day before, you missed it. The day before, it was two sows and like 25 shows. Oh no! Yes, yes. Like don't tell me black this. And white spotted ones, like feelings. good, like like the ones. And it's actually a point of contention that nobody's been managing the pigs since I moved. No. It's it's clearly evident when they walk right out in front of my work truck, well, like, thirty yards. Yeah, well, I told my dad I was like, so like, who's gonna set these pig traps after I move? And he was like, well, I guess your brother's gonna do it. Well, I guess not. Ha ha! You thought. <laughs> <clears throat> but you know, like like I would take a pig, like I would take a wild pig, and I would have that whole thing made. You know, one, I would go shoot one wild pig and have that whole pig made into pan and, and link sausage because it's fucking delicious, first and foremost. Well, deer <laughs> sausage is great. Straight wild pig sausage is even more better. And then I would definitely take, now I would love, I love to break down a pig just like I would, you know, a domestic hog. But I would take one pig, I would shoot one pig and I'd say, okay, that's going to be my sausage pig. And take it and have sausage made or I want like, well, to make it myself. people have that like same that same uh, mentality with venison but you know you have to like like 
think about it in terms of people that don't have the opportunity to hunt the same way. Okay, Ollie. So let's get into let's get into some game girl adventures. Okay, let's let's get into some let's get into some story time on some of the some of the places you've gone and cooked at, and like let, break some of that down for us. Explain to us kind of how how it happens. Like, what's the logistics of it? How do you get y'all's food and stuff to camp? What is and a then, day in yeah, the life? Yeah, like kind of break it down. Like, what is a day in the life of, oh, a, of, well, a, of a of a chef of a game chef? Well, a day in the life is so subjective because every day is so different. But um, so, I have gotten to do some really incredible things um, with Game Girl and just be in places that I never really like imagined myself. Um, being for work, I've gotten to work in far West Texas, like marathon. And yeah. that is the coolest place I've ever been. It is so beautiful. Oh God. Um, what part of marathon were you looking at? Cause that place right. is a fucking <laughs> dumpster. I've worked Dude. in Pecos and that was You're not, not fun. in the right places. I'm telling you. You got to like, get to like Alpine. You got to get to, you got to get like Alpine and Fort Davis. That's when yeah, you start yeah. getting No, no. Pass there. Do you know where pretty. marathon is? Yes. Like the gauge hotel. Yes. Dude. That is a cool town. Marathon's neat. But uh, I've, like, been out there for wild blue quail at a lodge, and just that was so cool. But, it like, like you asked about the logistics. So, basically, um, I'm coming out there, and I'm bringing everything, like, all the food, all, like, all the ingredients. Sometimes I'm bringing, like, equipment because... You know, I mean, I can expect that most places will have, like, a pot to boil water and a cutting board and stuff like that. But, like, finding something specialized to make, like, a dish that me and my clients have, like, talked about, I have to bring the equipment. I can't assume that they have anything. So, it's, like, it's a full scale. Like, sometimes I have to bring the whole kitchen sink. So, when you, so, like, when somebody contacts you about cooking, you sit down and physically itemize every day's meals from start to finish before you ever even show up. Yes. So you have to know we're having breakfast, lunch. This is what we're having for breakfast. This is what we're having for lunch. This is what we're having for dinner. Yes, but I send out menus. So I'll send out like, hey, here's this like menu idea. Like, let me know what you think about it and whatnot. And like most of the time, like it's all wild game based. So I'll do like a Venice, like I'm doing a brunch in a few weeks. Um, and it'll be, I'm doing a venison breakfast sausage frittata. With, like, sun-dried tomatoes and white cheddar and, like, fried potatoes on the side and whatnot. But, like, so it'll be things like that where, like, I'll be making the sausage and bringing it with me and um, just doing a lot of prep work. But, yes, yeah, so it is, like, here's the menu. This is what we – and everything is agreed upon in advance. So it's not like I just get there and I'm like, let me just make some, like, chocolate ice cream from scratch. It's, like – I print, it's all planned out. I print menus, and you know what you're having, and it's usually always discussed. Um, but, yeah, Marathon was really, like, my first big gig, and I was, like, the farthest I've driven from home. I mean, I've traveled all over the world, and that's part of, like, what has inspired the way that I cook Wild Game is because I have been to 28 different countries, so I've eaten so many different types of cuisine, and that was just because my parents traveled so much for work. I was exposed to so much at such a young age that, like, that has really shaped the way that I view food. And, like, that, like, bringing my love for hunting and fishing into that, um, I like to cook the things that I have eaten or tried in, like, with wild game. So that's, like, 
I mean, kind of where I find like my inspiration for food dishes is like travel and just shenanigans with my family and friends and and whatnot. Um, but it like Gangboro has led me to some really cool experiences. I was hunting on this ranch and this guy um, was like, so like my family has um, a place in Alaska and they need a chef for the summer and. You know, I guess it was, like, me being young and stupid. I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I just didn't ask that many questions. And, like, I ended up cooking at a uh, King Salmon, like, tent camp. So, like, they... Which was an experience. So, I... Like... And it's not, like, pup tents like you're thinking. They're, like, tents that have a floor. But, like, it's still a tent for, like, 60 days. I remember watching your Snapchat story. Oh, my God. I wanted to... There were so many days I wanted to cry. And, like not that i don't like the outdoors but shit like (laughs) after 30 days of like sleeping in a tent where it doesn't actually get dark so in alaska during the summer it's like light it it is it's like bright you're like day like all day and all night and it's really cool and also like I don't know. I hate to sound like a weenie because I'm definitely not a weenie, but it was like when it was hard. So like I was there for the setup and the teardown of the camp and it was such a good experience, but it was also a lot. So we like tap the spring and like have running water and like install washer and dryers and like put in full kitchens. So like when the clients come they they see this like tent camp and it's almost like a city. And it is a city. It's crazy how, like, overnight it just goes from, like, we show up on boats. Like, I drove two hours across, like, the Nushigak Bay in a boat by myself. Like, <coughs> like, which is crazy to think. Like, when I think about it, I'm like, man, that's crazy. Like, I can't wait to tell my kid, like, yeah, when I was your age, I was driving across the Nushigak freaking bay <laughs> in a like flat bottom with a 90 tiller on the back like that's what i was doing with my time to show up to this empty slot of land that is just like flat it's the alaskan tundra in the summertime it's just flat so we get there and they're like erecting we are all erecting myself included um the tents and like it's just crazy because it goes from zero to a hundred in like seven days and, like, that's how long it takes to build all the client tents and the dining room tents. And then we put in, like, we I had two stoves, a microwave, three freezers, and all of it's, like, powered up by generator and gas. So you have barges that bring gas in. And, I mean... Oh, wow. that It's intense. That, that could be a problem, potentially. So you... Yeah, for sure. So you have to conserve and you... It's a different style of cooking than I do on these high-end ranches. It's wild because i'm going from like i don't care how much untapped money, resources untapped yeah, exactly. resources ball out like do whatever you got to do to make it right yeah do whatever you got to do to make it right to like this is what we have and better make it happen <laughs> like which is cool i can function on either level but like the first time i did alaska it was hard and i mean the second time i did alaska was hard too but for different reasons um but the people were great. And I will say that I've never met like people that worked as hard as the people that I worked with at the King Salmon Camp in Alaska. Um, but it was cool. So we were on the Nushigak River. Um, and we... So we were on the Nushigak River. And um, it was different. It, 
it's like you look at postcards of Alaska and you see these mountains and like you just assume that the entire state is right. this beautifully it's, it's just gorgeous, a huge ass mountain range, huge ass like all the places. And that this was probably like my fourth time going to Alaska, but my first time going for work. So like the place that I flew into Anchorage and then I took another plane to um, Dillingham, Alaska, and that like we got there and it's. I don't know. It kind of looks like Beaumont. It looks like Finette. You know, it's flat. You know, it's not super picturesque. But then we get in these boats and we go to the like the lodge, um, which is not where I worked. I worked at the camp. But we go to this lodge and then it is Alaska. It is exactly what you think of on the postcard. It's beautiful mountains with like white caps and this gorgeous like lake that's see-through and there's moose walking all around. Um... But anyways, like when we got to the camp and it just went from like zero to a hundred, it was um, interesting because I had to shift my focus from thinking like how I thought about wild game because I'd always thought about wild game like ducks, deer, you know, pigs to like the salmon is the game. And I had to shift the way that I perceived the food and, and how I cooked and just so like getting groceries even was just a thing like right. <laughs> it was yeah. a whole thing yeah. so logistics wise how did you like did y'all bring so many days worth of supplies to keep in a cooler is it cold there during the summer like like so, how does that work how do you keep food fresh there do you have to run back across so, the bay like, like the first couple days we were there before we got like the fridges <clears throat> and freezers all up and running and like at all the infrastructure for the camp built um, we pretty much cooked out of coolers and things like that, but we had like pre-planned meals. I had like, um, like, I don't know, one of those camp chef burner things yeah, where yeah. you have like in a grill. So, I mean, I had that much to work with like propane type stuff, which was cool. Like some of the stuff I was making, I was like, I shocked myself <laughs> with like some of the things that I was capable of doing with like nothing. Um, but like just getting groceries was so you'd place an order right and you would just hope that things came in because they didn't so you had to be flexible so I could plan to make like salmon with pesto over pasta blah 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 but my pasta might not come in so I better be able to like shift on a dime and do like some salmon with fried potatoes and whatever like frozen vegetable I might have or whatnot because it's just such a different style of cooking than what I'm used to um but everything came in on a on a boat or on a float plane. So we were a two-hour boat ride from the closest store and a 45-minute plane ride from anything. So it is like you you better plan and you better like work your plan. And I definitely got better at it as I went. But like that was a very hard uh, 60 days. Now, how often did they run these boats or planes? So we had clients coming in like every four or five days. So like if there was like an emergency item that we needed really bad, um, they were able to usually get stuff. But it it was typically, I mean, every every week, every couple weeks. I mean, which doesn't sound that crazy, but when you're in Alaska trying to feed so many people and there's like nothingness, it's like kind of sobering sometimes. Right, right. Yeah, so... You got to think ahead for weeks. Yeah. And so instead of just, oh, I'll just run down the store and 
Graham. For sure. Well, and then my experience this last year. So that was Alaska the first time. This year, I went to this lodge called Angler's Alibi. And I actually met the owner in the bar at the Anchorage airport on my way to like the King Salmon camp. Um, the first time I was in Alaska and he was like, well, if you don't hate it, like you could probably come cook. Like, and so like I followed up with him and I ended up like coming to cook at his lodge this last summer and it was great. I really enjoyed it. The people were fantastic to work with. Um, it was a fly fishing lodge. And like one of the things that I really appreciated about for them is they really cared about the fish because like salmon is becoming such a, like a fish fish. It's so popular. You see it on every menu. Um, and you think about like the impact that, like the demand for that has on the fishery itself. But, but what I appreciated about this lodge that I was at is they had like a self-imposed limit for fish and they really gave a shit about the fishery. And, um, it was kind of the same situation where, you know, we either had like, but they had more of like a better system where we had groceries flown in every Wednesday. So I had like, I was able to get exactly what I needed or asked for every Wednesday so it was a little bit easier of a situation but I mean it was still like there were times where I was like we don't have that many eggs and I have to make made to order eggs in the morning so like what am I gonna bake with and like just stretches you in definitely different ways so Game Girls definitely provided me with opportunities to work in places and do things that I don't even think that I was prepared to do because I had to go from like this farm to table mentality to like whatever. Whatever you can get your hands on. Yeah, whatever we can get our hands on and make it happen. Make it pretty, make it make it fast, make it good. That seems excessively stressful. It was a lot. Let's talk about the boat. Let's talk about the boat a little bit. Let's talk about some of the boat cuisine. Oh, yeah. So, They're wrapped up. Oh, man. So I I like to push the limits of what everybody on that boat is happy with me doing. <laughs> so if I can get away with it, um, I definitely try. My favorite thing that I've ever made on the wrapped up was I did these um, whole red snapper. And I did it with like a Burmese curry and I roasted them in the oven and they were so good over Burmese like style rice with this like salad. But it was crazy because like, I don't know, when you think about uh, sport fishing, typically you don't like necessarily associate that with like higher end cuisine. Right. So um, just based on some of the things, not that my experience in sport fishing is so great because it's not. Um, I have only been on that scene for a couple years, so I really like don't know anything about anything when it comes to the fishing part, but I definitely know how to talk about food on the boat. Yeah, so I am definitely so new to um, working in sport fishing. It's an industry that is not familiar and... Um, is something that I really enjoy though because like I mentioned my like my dad had boats so I love just being around the boats the machines like just being an engineering nerd I love I love the big boats they're so cool um I have a lot of respect for the captains that maintain and run those boats it's a very under it's kind of like being the chef it's like such an underappreciated undervalued job um that takes a lot of knowledge and like 
it's not the same as like getting on a bay boat and going to find some trout or redfish. There's like such an, like a, such a level of like expertise and professionalism that we can't even like, we can't even begin to touch, but I've definitely enjoyed pushing myself to the, like the limits on working on the boat. So like being able to work with all the fresh fish was something that, um, you know, I mean, when we, you've been here since, like, we've been friends since the early days of Game Girl Gourmet. And so, like, you watched it go from, like, wild pork and venison and ducks and doves and all the, like, normal Texas stuff right. to, like, wahoo and tuna and snapper exactly. and all these other types of fish and, like, types of wild game that we actually do have such great access to here in Texas. Um, but, like, nobody really like knows about or has that great of access to like i had no idea that the wahoo breed on the gardens every year and the gardens are you know they're about like I, I'm, was it 140 i don't know don't quote me i just cooked the food man yeah, but like 120 or 140 something like that <laughs> i don't know but i had no idea that we had such biodiversity of species in the gulf of mexico um i mean i did but i didn't you know well, everybody was, thinks of offshore fishing i think a snapper you know like they think yeah, of red snapper like red oh, we're snapper go bottom get, fishing yeah. like that's just what right. we're gonna do um and i had no idea about blue marlin or any of the things that i mean it's wild when you get into like hooking one of those giants i will say that we had like this thing going on in the summer called the fajita blues because anytime i would cook fajitas we would catch like a big ass blue marlin so it was like kind of a joke because i don't know the guys believe in luck but i don't superstition on a boat on a fishing boat is unparalleled i i don't know see i don't believe in superstition so i was like man if we're gonna catch and especially when you're working with people like like, the captain on the boat that I, like, on the wrapped up, like, when you're working with people that are that professional and that good at what they do, it is not like fishing. It is hunting. He knows, like, and it's so different. It's a different world, and it's it's impressive and interesting just to, like, to me, I look at that big, huge spans of ocean, and it's just a big freaking ocean. Yeah. To him, he's like, this is the structure. I know exactly where the fish are going to be, and it's like, like, it's like hunting. It's like whitetail hunting for me. Yeah. And, um, just being around it, like the cool thing about catching a blue Marlin though, is that it is not a singular effort and it, I mean, definitely it is the efforts of majority one person who knows how the equipment is and where we're going and what we're doing. There's definitely a leader effort in it, but like once the fish is hooked, it becomes like a team thing. And that's kind of cool because I'd never experienced anything like that before where it like it really mattered what everybody was doing. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody is a a cog on the same wheel. Yeah. And 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 everybody's got to be working together to kind of pull it all off because it it really is luck. Like if you think about it, it's not luck. It's science. No, no, no. It's science. Yes, yes, yes. But I'm saying like by the time you hook that fish, it's by the grace of God that you landed. Because you're you're hooking a four, five, six, eight hundred pound fish. Man, I don't know. Depending, on man-made gear. Depending like, on who you talk to, they will tell you that is not the case. If you have the right person in the right position doing the right things at the right time, it's a science. And yeah. it happens. And that's why these people, these teams go out and they catch like eight or nine fish at a time. Because they have the best of the best 
at like doing it. It's it's crazy. It's we're they, we're got it down so to an art. they have it down to an art and a science. And like I'm totally not the expert to be talking to like about this because I am so new to all of it. But I will say that like the boats that are like killing it and crushing it, at least from what I've heard, because I'm just repeating the things that are talk to me because i'm not an expert in fishing actually it's the subject that i am the most insecure about um it it it's when you have the right it's just like anything else though when you have the right people in the right place the right time magic happens so um i mean i guess you can translate and move that into the kitchen because i have such a small portion that is almost irrelevant on the sport fish like they're gonna catch those fish with or without me but i'm so happy to be there um they're probably doing it better on full belly (laughs) for sure that's what they tell me but i don't know um it is so i enjoy working offshore on the boat it's fun um i think that it takes um definitely a special kind of person that can deal with all the personalities and all the different things that come up but it's it's so fun i get to push the bounds of what i was comfortable doing before um which was you know wild game and it expanded the way that i felt about fish because i didn't really i mean i'd never worked with fresh tuna um and then now i can like i guarantee i can make you a spicy tuna roll that'll like blow your mind it'll be like man did that come from like Tokyo or Yamato? So, I will say this much, and I've had I've had limited limited offshore experience. I've been a few times, and caught you know it's it's a uh, I'm not gonna say it's easy to catch fish offshore, but it is if you can find structure and you've got bait, you can pretty well catch fish offshore. Not like what you're talking about with a sport fisher, but I mean like you know if you're going snapper fishing or catching ling or chasing dorado on weed lines and shit like that, like that's really not it's not as it's not as intricate a game like it is when you're chasing blue marlin, you know, or you're chasing big yellowfin tuna offshore. You know what I'm saying? Like it's kind of a, it's kind of a a a, a little bit easier because you think about. It, I mean, like you're in this vast expansive expansive ocean. If you find structure, if you find habitat, you're going to find fish. Like they have to be there. Yeah, know? and you know, I don't know if I'm like really the best person to like confirm or deny that, but I mean, I know people that will definitely say like, yes, you know, like. The bottom fishing is is like that. Like when you but have in, structure and things like that, you will find the fish. To There's lead no. off of that, though, like pelagic fish in general is the most delicious thing that you will <laughs> ever put in your mouth in terms of fish, in my opinion. You know, wahoo. I agree. Ling. I mean, those. the fact that people even cook them is just asinine because that's the most delicious fish you can eat without yeah. even doing nothing but... You, know, you really don't have to do a ton to Put a little it. soy, throw a little soy on it and let it rip, you know? For sure. I really enjoy, um, we like, I mean, in my house, I have quite a few fish knobs. I've got several captains running around oh, yeah. and things like that. So, um, I've definitely learned <laughs> about what is proper and what's not proper. But, you know, like, man, really... Tuna has become like my favorite, my favorite thing. What's the best there is? Yeah, no. So like tuna with just a little bit of soy sauce and some wasabi, like I don't want anything else. Like I don't even need to cook it, but 
I don't know. I made some tuna with like some raw tuna, like the sashimi slice with um, some sushi rice. And I just had a little bit of wasabi on the inside with some soy on top. And then I put some fried garlic pieces. Like not the oil, just some like fried garlic on top. Oof. So the first time I ever had fresh tuna, uh, my buddy Spencer and Michael had went and caught, they caught like 30 something blackfin. And blackfin is like bottom tier in the tuna market. <laughs> yeah, man. If you, if if my boyfriend was listening to this right now, right, he'd be laughing because he's like, "That's bait. That's what we use to catch marlins." I know, I know it. I know, and it, and the fact that somebody uses a tuna to catch a fish that you don't <laughs> eat makes me want to jump no, in front of traffic. No, you can eat marlin. You oh, can yeah. definitely yeah, yeah. eat marlin. But <laughs> you can eat marlin. It's edible. It's it's good. I mean, people most will people aren't going to kill one to eat no. it. If you're in Hawaii. And you're close to inshore. But yeah, no, I am team. Like if it, the fish, if it dies, you should at least try. Absolutely. I agree with If that. it dies, try. That should be a rhyme. That's right. But he had the, he brought this black fin and they literally sliced it up, put it in Ziploc bags, covered it in soy sauce, put it in the refrigerator. And he handed me a bag. I sat there and I ate a piece and, and I, I wasn't a sushi eater. You know, up until that point, I had never really eaten sushi. I ate a piece of that tuna. And I said, what in God's name is this sorcery in this bag? And he said, that's blackfin tuna. And I said, okay, I'm going to take this whole bag with me. There was like 20 pieces in it. I said, I'm going to take this whole bag. I'm going to sit down in this chair right here, and I'm about to consume this whole thing with a quickness before you can tell me that I can't eat the whole thing because I'm about to do it. You really shouldn't eat that much tuna at it's one so, time. I know. You shouldn't. You shouldn't eat that much anything at one time, but I did it. <laughs> and I wasn't even mad at it. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going to get sick. I'm going to get sick. It is what it is, but I'm about to let this rip. Yeah. So cooking, uh, I don't know. I'd been, I had definitely eaten fresh tuna before I started working um, like closely with like on the boat or with the resource or whatever. Um, I hate to say like working on the boat cause I'm definitely a contractor. I'm not like full time like that boat. If it wants to go and I'm busy, they're leaving. Um, but it was definitely the first time that I got to, um, work with like ingredients that fresh that, you know, like seafood type ingredients. Cause you know, you, we think about it. We don't, I mean, if you're not buying it off the dock, you we don't know how long it was where that tuna came from like absolutely same situation with the with the pork and the chicken like yeah, we just don't yeah, know for sure um but that's kind of what's been cool about working with the um wahoo tuna snapper i do love snapper it's one oh, of my delicious one of my favorite things to cook i really do like doing the whole snapper like whole roasted in the oven like man you can't beat it it's good. And then there's no waste. Like, there's no waste. That's like, fish are, like, so you know over 50% of all fish goes in the trash bin. Yeah. Like, even, just even from, like, the average fishmonger. And if you're, like, butchering fish right, there, there's no reason for that. Um, You can take the bones and make stock. You can take the cheeks. Most people don't save the throats, which are the best part. Yeah, snapper like, throats. Snapper throats. Mm, so good. Right, like, speckled trout. Like, let's talk about this on the average level for, like, most people. Like, the average trip that they're going to go on is they're going to, you know, go on a charter and go catch redfish or snapper or flounder or whatever. They're not going, like, pelagic fishing. They're not going to 
you know, catch snapper or tilefish or whatever. That's what they're going to go. Even that stuff is so good in the right, like, context. People are, like, kind of quick to write it off. But, man, like, I love speckled trout. Oh, it's delicious, yeah. Inshore. I mean, most inshore fish, I feel like, are good. Hell, I've eaten black drum. Fried black drum is good as anything. Uh, Black drum is actually the best because all they eat are shrimp and crabs. So the meat is, inc- it's, like, the most similar to snapper. Looky there, see? Fun straight fact. Out the, straight out the chef's mouth. Fun fact. There you go. I hope that doesn't make everybody want to go, like, catch all the black drum. But seriously, they're <clears> so good. That's my favorite. Like the sheep said, my favorite eating fish. Like, and that's a trash fish. Same with the wild pigs. I have a thing for the underdog animals, <laughs> if y'all haven't, like, noticed. I definitely have a thing for the underdog animal because, like, everybody wants the filet mignon. Like, but that's not even the best cut no. on the cow. Like, have y'all ever heard of, like, a Denver or a flat iron steak? You know, there's all these things that... All this stuff... All this information. We're going to relight on all this information, too, because we are going to have you back, and we're going to do the whole... We're going to do a breakdown. I, I really would like to do... I'm happy to. A breakdown to teach people, because it is. It's wholesome. Like, it's it's wholesome, and it's something you can do as a family. Like, you know, For everybody sure. can have a job, right. you know, washing the meat and cutting the meat. And don't wash packaging. your meat. Hold on. Don't wash your meat. Don't, don't do that. Don't wash it. Did that animal live in water? You going to leave the hair on it? Why is there hair on it? Well, sometimes you get hair on it. It's a fur-bearing animal. It's a fur-bearing animal. It's got wait, hair. Wait, wait, wait. So, like, in the process, you Yeah, sometimes you'd be skinning and you'd be ripping and, and, you get, and you get hair on it. You gotta, you I'm know. just giving you a hard time. You should definitely, like, <clears throat> minimal water. Like, don't so, please don't soak your meat. We've had so no, many no, no. conversations oh, about a, that. A quick rinse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A quick, quick rinse. rinse. Brisk rinse. Brisk there, rinse there and then dry it immediately. It padded dry. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You don't want to freeze anything wet either. That's... Just, uh, that's how you like kill everything. Yeah, that's that's not. I mean, it's a freezer burn right in heaven. Yeah, I know we've been like all over the world with stuff and things, and I can literally talk for hours. So if you put me on a topic, I can get as deep or as surface level as you want. So like, I'm definitely happy to come back. But I want to do. I want to do it like a legitimate butcher's breakdown, and we may have to do like a two or three part. You know, it may be. I don't think it'll be take us that long. But but if it does, it does. Because I want to be able to illustrate from start to finish. Okay, here we go. Skinning is not as important because most people know how to skin an animal. You know, at least in relative terms, they can skin an animal. But I want to talk about like, okay, when we start breaking down halves and quarters. Yeah, and you want to get into the different. Yeah, cuts like, and like, like how do you debone? How do you effectively debone meat without getting all the tendons and leaving twenty percent on the bone? You know what I'm saying? Like, like how do you break these muscle groups down to where? You can maximize your return and minimize your right, waste. Right, right. Just the, yeah, the for sure. To. I yeah, I would love to do some things like that because I just I feel like that knowledge is one of those things that is like power, and I feel like it's an under like valued, underutilized. Absolutely. Skill. I mean, not to say not to sound like a weirdo or anything, but say heaven forbid something happened in the world field of shambles and tomorrow, you know, if you know how to process your own game. Well, it's not even that. It's also just like, even if you aren't going to go that deep, just making better choices as a consumer. Sure. So like, if you're going to buy meat from the, like, we can talk about this from the, like the hunter aspect, but as a consumer, like knowing when you have an animal broken down or when you go to buy meat at the store, what you're buying, well, you where, can buy, where that fits. You can buy uh, a 
a half of I'm just going to throw it like a side of beef. You can buy a side of beef yeah. for $2 a pound and broken down it's $20 a pound. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, you can save yourself, you know, tenfold the money. Yeah, for sure. Buying and I mean, it and, and breaking you, it down and yourself. And you know what the, what the thing that I feel like is like really kind of cool that where the knowledge is lacking is people you don't have to have the highest end equipment. You don't even I can do it right here in your kitchen counter. Absolutely. You know what I mean? We could do an entire like beef side right here it's this big like that is i don't want to please don't make me do that but <laughs> no, I no, no, we'll do. hold yeah. on i butchered a whole bison last year in my downtown galveston apartment and it was so hard oh man that's a whole nother podcast yeah, like <laughs> i that is it was an eight day that is a whole podcast. It seems like a grueling process. Yeah, that, that seems like... I swear to God, I thought Robert was going to break up with me. Let's do a pig or a deer. Dude, a whole bison. When I agreed to do it, I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Um, He's like, I can't find it. Nobody will take this bison. Nobody wants to work with this bison. And I was like... <sighs> there was your son. I'm nobody. <laughs> I was like, I will take your bison. And... Sorry, I butchered a bison, and I did. I didn't have a deep freezer. I had to make a deep freezer. And by make a deep freezer, what I mean was, is I had to put ice in the bottom with dry ice, and then I had to wow. put the rib cage in there and throw ice on top of it and more dry ice to get it frozen enough to run through my saw to put like make chunks small enough to like manage. Like mm. it was, it was a task. Oh man, yeah, that sounds like a, a whole ass deal. Oh my god! Yeah, that that would be an ordeal. Well, you know, it's less of an ordeal now because I'm set up to do it. But when I first moved away from the farm, I had all this butchering access. I had all this. I had a whole butchering setup, and then yeah. I moved to an apartment in like historic downtown Galveston. Oh man! All right, Holly. So let's talk about let's talk about women in the outdoor industry and how they are positively and negatively viewed and affected let's talk about uh let's talk about like real life women in the outdoor industry let's do it so this is actually a subject that i'm like very passionate about and so i apologize if i get kind of intense at times um actually i make no apologies for that because that's just who i am as a person i'm kind of intense um Women in the outdoors, it's one of those things, like, women have always been in the outdoors. So, it's mind-blowing to me that we can just, like, package it up and sell it in a different way. Like, some of the, like, I mean, Deborah Dunaway is, like, one of the most accomplished bill fishermen of all time. Woman. Like, I, we were hunting, I was grouse hunting this last weekend in New York, and the guy was like, my grandmother, expert grouse hunter. Like, that women have never not been involved in the outdoors. And so, for me, it's kind of crazy that we market it as, like, a new thing. Um, or this thing that's so unique and cool. Like, just because I'm a woman, it's really not. Like, I mean, it is, like, I'm not trying to take anything away from it. But I think that a lot of the times we see people, and not just women, because this is a man thing, too. Like, they see an opportunity to, um, monetize isn't the right word. Capitalize. Capitalize, that's a good word. Um, to capitalize on whether it be, um, I don't know, attention, 
yeah, success, absolutely. brand yeah, yeah, yeah. recognition, whatever it may be. Um, and we see these people that aren't necessarily qualified to be having these opinions, have these opinions and be put on these platforms um, as being great. And I, I definitely, I'm not saying, because I definitely have seen lots of very qualified women be passed over to speak um, just based on like lack of social media following Absolutely. or like lack of like whatever professional content. And, you know, I... I don't ever want to take anything away from somebody that has worked like super hard to, you know, build their not like their knowledge and experience and whatnot. Um, those are not the kind of people that I think or that I feel like are the problem. I think it's these people that are, um, not experienced, but they're willing to do whatever these brands want them to do. Absolutely. To like push the brand and whatever like forward that like are an issue. So like being like being a woman in the outdoors, I'm not going to say that it's always like easy and that like just because women have always been in the outdoors makes it easy because I still think that it is kind of like a unique thing. It's just not this thing that these brands make it out to be, if that makes sense. Like, I can remember being, like, young and single um, and, like, just wanting to be involved, like, wanting to go on the trip, <coughs> wanting to go on the hunt, and not catching the invite just based on the fact that I, like, was single because these other, like, types of, like, people were, you know, doing whatever they had to do to, like get on the hunt or get in, get the invite or whatever. So I can remember being like, I, and I can appreciate sometimes why, um, girlfriends, wives or whatever, are a little taken aback because that's, it might not be their hobby or what they, um, what they're passionate about. But it was always really like hard for me when like it came time to like get ready to leave for the hunt. And then I just didn't like the invite was like, Oh yeah, like come with us sometime. And then it just like, when, like, I'd see everybody out, like, on Instagram or whatever, and they were hunting, and there was, like, hey, you guys, like, I never said, I would never say anything, but I was, like, y'all said y'all, like, I could go, but it was definitely, like, I made somebody's, like, somebody uncomfortable, which is cool, like, I totally get it, but, like, the notion that women are, like, new in the outdoors is, like, kind of bullshit, to be honest. I feel like, I feel like social media has... A, it's helped the outdoors so much because you've been able to reach such a huge audience with such minimal effort. But it's also, at times, it kind of negatively impacts it because I feel like sometimes... Well, the, you're glorifying the things that are yeah, easy to glorify. And it undermines the legitimacy. You know, there's a lot yeah. of women out there that really work their asses off to hunt and do and be the best outdoors, outdoors woman yeah. that they can be. You know what I'm saying? And it just kind of... You see all the... Uh, the the buckle bunny, so to speak. You know, I, mean, I can't think of a better term. <laughs> oh man, you, you know, know but, what I we had like we have in fishing. We like boat turkeys is a good one. Boat, boat turkey, boat turkey, <laughs> boat turkeys is a good one. Um, man, I had a really good one for hunting that I can't remember. But you know, like it. You know, for me as a woman, when I say those, like, terms, it comes across as me being judgmental. But really, it's, like, also, like, screw you. I've worked so hard to be taken seriously. 
I've worked my ass off to like develop a legitimate brand it like in in the outdoors and so like <laughs> it is infuriating sometimes when I see like and like maybe I'm speaking too candidly but it's infuriating when I see like girls that have not worked nearly as hard and have half the experience like let's just pay $30,000 for this girl to like go like shoot an elk and she has no idea what the fuck she's doing and she's not going to be able to break it down after or talk about it and so it's like i'm not saying like i deserve to be in her spot because i don't know what she had to do to get there maybe she did earn it but it like it is frustrating in in a way and i mean i know that i have a long way to go and a lot to learn like i would never like you you prove yourself throughout the course of you know, whatever career you choose and whatnot. And I've only been doing this for a couple of years professionally. So like, I can't expect to be, you know, where like right now I'm, right. I'm not where I'm going to be in 10 years, 10 years in now, five yeah. years and things like that. But it is like mind blowing to me that like we can put somebody who has no experience, who can't, who doesn't appreciate the depth. Like we will glorify them on these platforms and these are going to be the people that like we look to for right that's going to be the face of hunting yeah that's the face of hunting and like i'm just are they the best fit are they the best fit like my thing is is if i can't go to you with like questions and things like that and maybe not even questions. If I can't, like, if you are not in a position to mentor, why are you? Yeah, what what reason are you doing this for? What reason are you doing this for? Is it for your own personal gain? Is it for the, like, gain of hunting? Is it to, like, for fishing? Is it for the fishery? Is it for the species? Like, I think it, I really, it doesn't really matter if it's a male or female or whatever. I think it just all like turns back around on like the intentions. Right. Like, I don't do, of course, at the end of the day, I want to pay my bills. Like, of course, that's important to me. Of course, and, everybody and, does. And like being stable and all that. But at the end of the day, if I was able to just inspire one person who never had the, never told them that like, it wasn't weird that they were doing like whatever. If if I make another woman more comfortable in the field because she sees me doing it by myself, like I have achieved something. And that matters more to me than having 18 different brands be like, here's some free camo and a discount Instagram code. 100%. So yeah, you want to you want to be an inspiration like Yeah, for sure. I want I want people to come to hunting for the right reasons. No, it's I I feel like a lot of the times when these content creators are coming on and like here is here's my butt and then here is whatever hunting that I've done. But what are they doing to move it forward? Right. It just I guess it's just the the sex appeal aspect of it. I mean, and it's not even that. I mean, you look at what's happened with, like, the Bomars and, like... Oh, well, that's a spicy one. So, like, you look at these people that are supposed to be these advocates. Right. Right? For the sport. And what, 
Like, they're supposed to be promoting conservation. And, you know, they have this cult following. These people that will, like, die for them on social media. Which is insane to me as a rational, like, functioning human. Yeah, you've never, you don't know these people. Like, like, you don't know these people. You don't know what they're doing with your money or I watch Bomar like, shit on YouTube just because they shoot cool deer. But, like, I mean, you know, you look at all the shit that goes on, like, all the Like, what about the all these? Poaching, the poaching and the things the, that are, like, bad. The like buying guided hunts that are poaching. Like, I mean, there's a whole much, host of shit. Exactly. And you know what? Cool. I also just, like, this is, like, probably a side rant that is unrelated but also related. I I don't necessarily know if like social media was the best thing to happen to hunting because we see the end photo with none of the experience. It's it's like all social social media. Yeah, you get the highlight see, reel. We get the highlight reel, but you, you, you don't, don't know. get the real shit. Like I've definitely had experiences with deer where like it was the most gut-wrenching thing like I knocked my scope last year and then Ooh. recited my gun and then it didn't like I don't know what happened it like I guess my scope rings weren't tight and then I made a shot like that in my sight was accurate and in my experience was correct it wasn't when like I injured a deer and it was the most terrible experience of my life and I didn't post about it and I regret it because that shit does happen. Yeah, that, that's real that's life. fucking hunting and it does happen. You do like, it doesn't make it okay. But like we, we talk about like sometimes as hunters, I feel like we have to justify why we're hunting and that's bullshit. Like we can get into the smiling conversation now right. about the hippies not wanting us to smile about like, Oh, because we're taking a life and it's so serious. And yes, it is so serious and it does mean a lot and it is very deep, but it is also like <sighs> asking people not to smile in hunting photos is crazy to me because I'm like, this was something that I worked really hard for. I had all the things that were... Yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Yeah, and so... And then in the moments, like when I made that shot, it's gut-wrenching. It's hard. It, it's, it's those feelings that nobody ever wants to feel. Because you're like, you're battling with all the... Like, am I inadequate? Was it my equipment that was inadequate? Was, like, was this right or that right? And I really do regret not posting about it because, like, that, that is what uh, happened. You, you played over a million times in your head. Like, you I could have done. What went wrong. Yeah, and it was, like, when I test-fired my gun, I test-fired it and I could ping steel. But I didn't, it wasn't accurate enough to make the, like, it was accurate enough to hit the steel but not to make the shot that right. I was trying to make. And like, I ended up hitting the shoulder bone and it was like, if it had been like an inch back, it had been perfect, but it wasn't. And that happens and that sucks, but that is what it is. I'm telling y'all, we can just get on rants. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're here for. So we're going to probably wrap that one. Uh, at this what we got here but i'm gonna let you plug your plug your stuff in on instagram and facebook if whatever you want people to follow you on maybe somebody's interested in 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 
approaching you for a service or, you know, to cook or do an event or something like that. So let people, you know, yeah. how can they reach out to you if they need to? For sure. You guys can always find me over at GameGirlGourmet.com or on any of my social media, which is also just GameGirlGourmet. Um, and then my name is Holly. So, and also feel free to message me anytime with cooking questions or any of those things. I always try to answer if I am available to do that. I really would love to do a cooking with it also. I think that would be so cool just to kind of see, you know, you don't have to do nothing crazy, but some people are intimidated. Like we talked about, you know, yeah, they, they just so don't fun. know, you know, ignorance For is sure. bliss. And, you know, that's, that's the, that's the biggest deal is just trying to make people more comfortable cooking wild game and, yeah, and enjoy it. Cause it really is delicious. And that's absolutely. my goal. For yeah, sure. that's, I mean, that's your platform, you know, that's the hill that you're dying on. So I think it would be cool to kind of, <laughs> that is you know, the hill I'm dying on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Quite that's, literally. that's, I think that would be something that would be interesting to people that would get to get to see and, and learn how to do something that they otherwise they probably wouldn't get to, you know? Yeah, for sure. I'd love to be back. Awesome. Well, we'll, uh, we'll see you soon as, as whenever we can fit into your busy schedule. First, we got to quit being subpar hunters ourselves and kill something to break down the butcher. <laughs> that's, that's first and foremost on the table. I mean, you could just call my dad when you're at work. I could also do that. I'll just go stop in there and talk to him in his office. Yeah, definitely. He asked me the other day. He's like, what's your buddy doing? And I was like, <laughs> what buddy? I have like a billion buddies, dad. We were over there mowing not too long ago. About, a, about three weeks ago, I guess. You should just go talk to him. I might He's have cool. to do that. My dad's nice. I might have to do that. All right, well, I think that's going to be it for this week. So, yeah, thanks for coming out. Thank you so yeah, much. Absolutely. We loved thanks having guys you. For having yeah, me. we enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. Let's like do this again. <laughs> Definitely. Most absolutely. Definitely.